When an emergency strikes, Preppy has you covered. Made in California, canvas and leather emergency kits packed with survival food, water, and first aid with optional emergency satellite communication. Go to Preppy.co. That's P-R-E-P-P-I dot C-O slash Filmweek. From the Moon Broadcast Center, it's Film Week. This week, our critics review The Farewell, starring Aquafina in a dramatic turn, the comedic actress who was such a big hit in Crazy Rich Asians. We'll also talk about the horror film Crawl and Stuber, an action comedy starring Kumail Nagiani. It's Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. Preppy wants everyone to be prepared for any situation. By bringing design to the forefront of their emergency kits, they are making earthquake prep less daunting and maybe even a little fun. Made in California, Preppy's attractive canvas and leather bags are designed to be displayed right in your living room or office. If an emergency strikes, your most essential supplies are at arm's length, not stashed somewhere deep in your closet. Though the Preppy line is quite handsome on the outside, the contents they include are incredibly comprehensive, helping you face real emergency situations with confidence. Go to Preppy.co, that's P-R-E-P-P-I dot C-O slash Filmweek for more information. It's Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us on this very warm weekend. We'll hopefully get you into an air-conditioned movie theater for a good flick this weekend. I'm joined by critics Wade Major of Synagogues.com and Christy Lemire of RogerEbert.com and co-host of the Breakfast All Day podcast. We begin with The Farewell, a comedic drama written and directed by Lulu Wong and starring Aquafina. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Your nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. We have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Do you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, nan will find out right away. The Farewell, Christy. This is far and away the best movie of the week and one of the best movies of the year, for sure. Um, Aquafina stars as a young woman living in New York. She is Chinese-American, and she finds out that her beloved grandmother is dying. The whole family knows the grandmother is dying, but they don't tell her, as you heard in this clip. They want to protect her. They want to keep her from the fear of living in those final months, and they want her to enjoy life as best she can. So they keep this from her. Aquafina's character, Billy is just appalled at the idea of this elaborate lie and uh, does not really want to go along with it, but goes to China with the family and they all try to put on this this great ruse. What's amazing about this film is the, the tonal balance that Lulu Wong pulls off. This is based on her own life and her own grandmother. And uh, it's a funny movie. It's a funny movie about waiting for death and the the tricky tone she finds in the absurd small moments here are amazing over and over again, whether it's, you know, the the drunken toasts that the guests give at the wedding banquet or, you know, the morning exercise that the nai-nai the grandma does in the yard. Like, there are so many opportunities to laugh here in ways that you would never expect. There's nothing mawkish about this film. The emotion that ultimately, inevitably comes forth is so genuine. 
Aquafina is amazing in this, and she was actually cast in this before she had these tremendous supporting comic roles like in Crazy Rich, yeah. Crazy Rich Asians, Ocean's Eight. She was cast in this before then, and it's so thrilling to see that same charisma, that same tremendous screen presence in this kind of more dramatic role. She's just such a natural. And she in is. fact, we're going to talk about that later in the program about comedic actors, mm-hmm. even stand-ups, who effectively um, made a mark in dramatic roles as well. We'll talk about some of the, the best ones. Wait, what do you think of the film? I agree 110%, if that's even a numerical possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what is great about Aquafina in this is that she has now established herself in just a few short years in a way and with a range that many actors take decades to do. She can rap, she can make us laugh to the point where we're crying, and she can make us cry with a beautiful dramatic performance. And she does. And she pushes all those emotions. She is an incredible talent. And at this point, if I'm a, if I'm a casting director or a producer or a director, I'm putting her at the top of my list for anything. I don't care what the race the character is. I don't care what gender. I don't care anything. All I know is this woman can act, and she can act herself into any any realm that she wants. She is an amazing talent, and she should be at the top of every list for every role, period. Uh, that's how good she is. The, the film itself, I, I really want to give a, a lot of credit to what Lulu Wong does here because – it's it, people may think it's easy to take. Oh well, you're making a story about your own life. Well, that's easy. No, it's not easy because most most of the things in life that we live are not dramatic. Taking something that happened to you and making it dramatic in a way that it affects and touches other people is in, is a harder transition than making something up from scratch than just going from your imagination because you have to you have to modulate it and you have to artistically manipulate it and she does it so beautifully what i love most about this movie is that it it's the first film since the joy luck club that touches on the collision of western values and confucian values that so many asian americans and children of asian immigrant parents go through. But it's also true for people who have other immigrant parents who find themselves trapped between all kinds of cultures. It's a common thing to find yourself sort of wedged between old world values, new world values, and and just a different way of seeing the world. And she's able to do it in a way that articulates it for the Asian American community, but also in a way that if you come, as I do, from immigrant parents who came from Europe, you 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 think, I, I relate to that. I identify with that. That's speaking to me as well. Human, yeah. It's such a wonderful film in every conceivable way. Yeah, there's incredible cultural specificity here, and much of the film is in Mandarin with subtitles, and yet it's so universal in terms of the way it depicts family and the kind of lies people tell to get by. I want to mention also Zhao Shuzhen, who is Nai Nai, she's the grandmother, is... A delight. She's just a spitfire. Like, nothing gets past her. Dark She's horse, so funny. Dark Horse Awards candidate there. Not even Dark Horse. I, I, Put I her mean, in there. She, she, for us, she will be. For critics, <laughs> she will be. But I think for the Oscars, yeah. it's still that's kind of a long shot. Mm-hmm. They don't typically nominate foreign language parts for supporting, uh, unless you're you know a Hollywood actor. But I think she has to be in the conversation. She's so great. And she and Aquafina have such lovely chemistry with each other. It's so genuine. It's, it's, it's so great, too, because the way the character is written, Aquafina's character, is that she has to be one way with family. But another way, when you know, when she speaks Mandarin, it's one thing. When she speaks English, it's another. And you see that very early on in the film. She's she's talking to her grandmother in Chinese, and then she talks to some you know woman on the street in English, and then she has to flip her her personality 
She she knows how to live in two worlds at once. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, the film, by the way, at the beginning of the trailer, it says based on a true lie instead mm-hmm. of based mm-hmm. on a, a true story, mm-hmm. uh, based on an actual lie. Uh, so the uh, film is The Farewell, written and directed by Lula Wong. Uh, the film stars Aquafina. It's rated PG. And uh, The Frame talked with director Lula Wong uh, at this year's Sundance Film Festival. You can hear that conversation by visiting our Film Week page at kpcc.org. We've got a link to it. The Farewell is showing at the Arclight Hollywood and the Landmark in West L.A. The horror thriller Crawl is directed by Alexandra Aja. Uh, the film is written by Michael and Sean Rasmussen, who were brothers. Christy? So this is a movie they did not show critics before opening day, which is ordinarily a really bad sign. It's not exactly a show of confidence in your film. So you went and bought a ticket last I night? I did. I spent good money at the Arclight Nel Segundo <laughs> to go see the team. The, but you know what? They didn't need to hide this from us because it's really fun. It's really exciting and it does exactly what it needs to do. So it takes place as this hurricane is bearing down on South Florida. And Barry Pepper is this dad and his daughters have not heard from him in a while. Um, And so one of the daughters... Kaya Scodelario goes down to check on him and make sure he's okay. She is a competitive swimmer at the University of Florida. This will become important as the film goes on. <laughs> he is. I a, love the setup to this. <laughs> right. He is a construction worker. He's a contractor. He built the house that the, the family all grew up in. This will also become important as the film goes on. And so she gets down there. He's trapped in the crawl space beneath the house. Hence <laughs> the name and it's how they fight their way out with increasing numbers of ravenous alligators you know swimming into them and finding so their way sounds in fun why would it's they so fun why would they hide this from us? i do not know and it, it's thrilling it does exactly what it needs to do it so is, original it, it, it's effective it's efficient like they establish really quickly who these characters are and they get right to it 20 minutes in you got your first alligator and it's they do a tricky thing here with, you know, films that are set in one location, right? Whether it's Locke and it's just Tom Hardy in a car talking or whatever yeah. it is. It's a tricky device to try to pull off. And they use the space beneath the house and they use the area around the house really efficiently. You can tell where everything is and where everyone is. There are glimmers of hope that people might come and rescue them and like that's not going to happen. And it's just a really intense, thrilling movie. You will squirm. You will scream. It is very gory and very gnarly, but not in gratuitous ways. And the people make decisions that make absolute sense, like every step of the way where they're thinking, okay, could I do this? Could I do that? And they run their traps and maybe they can't go out that way because there's an alligator there. I had a really good time. And it's like 90 minutes long. It's a perfect length. You know, Paramount was really snitty when I reached out about this. I said, where's the screening? It will not be screening for critics. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> but doesn't okay, that fine. make you like suspicious as to how Always. terrible it must be? Right? Always. But there's no need for that here. It's, it's usually some absolutely horrific movie that, that yeah. I'll well. tell you what, Crawl is a lot better than the movie we're about to talk about, which was screened <laughs> for critics ahead of time. Crawl, the horror uh, thriller uh, starring uh, Kaya Scodelario. Uh, it's directed by Alexandra Aja. Uh, Michael and Sean Rasmussen are the uh, co-screenwriters. It's rated R, and Crawl is in wide release. Stuber, an action comedy that stars Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, the action comedy is directed by Michael.
Michael Doze. Uh, and uh, uh, Nanjiani stars as a mild-mannered Uber driver pulled into a wild night after he picks up an LAPD detective played by Dave Batista. Hey! Uber? Yeah. Oh, my God. Hey, let me guess. You want me to drive you to all the Sarah Connors in the city? <laughs> Come on, start it up. Let's go. Oh, it's already started. Electric car. I call it silent but deadly. Drive. I'm Stu. How do you do? Can I get you some bottled water, some Canadian chocolates? It was one of those things where I thought I was getting five bars on Amazon, but I ended up Korea Koreatown, five- no. Stuber. Christy. Yikes. So, um, Camille <laughs> Nanjani is an Uber driver, and his name is Stu. So they call him Stuber. Stu. Uber. Stuber. It it makes total sense. (laughs) And uh, this is a mismatched buddy comedy. And there's not really a whole lot of comedy to be had. I mean, the the only laughs that are to be had here are from Kamel Nanjani's just stupefied, deadpan reactions to the increasingly absurd and violent, crazy situation he's found himself in. He's an Uber driver and he's raising money for um, this spin cycle studio that his would-be girlfriend is trying to establish. He's just a super nice guy. He's a doormat. All he wants is five stars from his his riders. Is all that matters to him. Dave Bautista is his total opposite. He's this giant brute of an LAPD detective who happens to have just gotten LASIK that morning, and that's why he can't drive anywhere. But he has to get across town to his daughter's art gallery thing and then he has to also bring down the drug dealer who's been trying to take down for years now and so the mild-mannered stew gets sucked into it all and um i it's kind of a celebration of toxic masculinity because as film as the film goes along Kamel Nanjani's character becomes more like Dave Bautista's rather than the other way around so being noisy and being the brute and finding a quote unquote backbone is what is celebrated here we're about to talk about another movie after this which is also about toxic masculinity um, but this is just sheer brute noise violence. Um, it's not very funny. I guess the idea of the clash of them sounds great. They're both so interesting. And Dave, Dave Bautista has a really fascinating screen presence between his work in Guardians of the Galaxy and this most recent Blade Runner. There's something fascinating about the hulking nature of him. And it's just used in the most simplistic way here. Well, it's, it, this made me think of the film Collateral with Tom oh, yeah. Cruise and uh, Jamie Foxx. But that was a Michael Mann movie. Yeah. Yeah. But good. I mean, it wasn't a comedy <laughs> and it wasn't a comedy, right. but it was sort of that premise of, you know... That was like in a midnight run, too, but that yeah, doesn't... Yeah, yeah. Name um, a mismatched buddy comedy, and this is just a really noisy version of it. Stuber, <laughs> the film, starring Kumail Nanjiani and Dave Bautista. Uh, Tripper Clancy wrote the screenplay. By the way, this is a Disney R-rated film. Uh, <laughs> Disney's first R film in six years. It's in wide release, and The Frame talked with co-star Kumail, uh, Kumail Nanjiani uh, earlier this week. You can hear that conversation from the link on the AirTalk page kpcc.org. Coming up, we're going to hear a 
about the art of self-defense, starring Jesse Eisenberg and Alessandro Nivola. Uh, also, Firecrackers, uh, that a drama that's uh, out on demand. And Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable, a documentary about the 13-year-old girl who lost her arm in a shark attack, but uh, who was able to uh, be resilient in the face of such loss. Also want to remind you that our next Film Week screening at the Theater at Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles coming up Saturday night, July 27th at 7 o'clock. The beautiful historic venue on the big screen will show Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. The program uh, will include the screening of the film and a post-screening conversation with very special guests. We invite you to get your tickets now by visiting kpecc.org slash in person. Once again, it's Saturday night, July 27th, Boogie Nights, our next Film Week screening. All of the movies are set in Los Angeles. That's what they have in common. Boogie Nights very specifically set in the San Fernando Valley. So we invite you to get your tickets. kpcc.org slash in person. We'll be back with our critics reviewing many more films in just one minute. Wonderful to have you with us on Film Week. Larry Mantle joined by critics Christy Lemire and Wade Major. Next up, The Art of Self-Defense, written and directed by Riley Stearns, Jesse Eisenberg, and Alessandro Nivola star with Imogene Poots, uh, the film about a timid bookkeeper who joins a neighborhood karate studio. Christy, uh, you're going solo again on this. <laughs> I really like this one very much, much more than Stuber, which sort of, you know, visits some of the same kind of thematic territory about male friendships and how they can or cannot be a good thing. So Jesse Eisenberg is, yeah, he's a very meek, timid guy. His name is Casey, which people make fun of him for, suggesting that it sounds like a, a woman's name. And he's just, he's kind of bland and meek in every situation, whether it's at work, trying to make small talk with the idiot dude bros in the break room, or just he comes home and his sweet little dachshund is waiting on the couch for him. He just seems so relieved to come home and just have to do that. And uh, one night he gets attacked going out to the grocery store to pick up food for the dog. And he decides he needs to protect himself. And he wanders into this just generic strip mall karate studio where Alessandro Nivola is the very self-serious instructor who insists that all of his students simply address him as sensei. And um, it's all about how Alessandro Nivola's character transforms this man and gets under his skin and and gives him a, a sense of confidence he never had, but in really manipulative ways like he's he's incredibly charismatic Alessandro Novola is so good in this and the the tone of the whole film and his performance specifically it's so understated it's so sly um, it begins life as sort of a, a twisted take on the karate kid but it ultimately becomes fight club because the more that Jesse Eisenberg's character gets sucked into this world and gets more and more confidence and gets to be part of almost the cult-like atmosphere of this karate studio, he realizes that there is much darker stuff going on than he initially realized. Imogen Poots is really, really good in this, too, as the only woman there. It's a very um, testosterone-heavy sort of misogynistic environment, but she fights her way through it, literally and metaphorically. She She's a teacher and a student, and, and uh, she is 
the voice of reason. She you know she knows what's going on here. She kind of cuts through the the nonsense of it. Jesse Eisenberg is really good in this. It's a very different kind of role for him. He is so often like fast talking and like the smartest guy in the room and just exasperated with everybody around him. And here you can feel him like quietly quavering with fear. He's a it's it's a it's a visceral performance in a small understated way. I like this a lot. Um, it goes in some unexpected places. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very low key, though. The trailers make it look like kind of a wacky comedy. It's a very low key kind of deadpan, sly comedy. The Art of Self-Defense, starring Jesse Eisenberg and Alessandro Nivola. It's rated R, written and directed by Riley Stearns and at the Arclight Hollywood. Firecrackers uh, is written and directed by Jasmine uh, Mozafari in a feature directorial debut. Wait, what'd you think? I was shockingly impressed by this film. I uh, I thought it would sort of tread familiar territory in a familiar way, and it does tread familiar territory. Uh, but it is it manages to to sort of freshen it in a, in a really exhilarating way. Uh, Mozafari based this on her 2013 short film and expanded it. It's a Canadian indie um, that deals in the in the uh, the downtrodden, depressed youth genre that kind of began here in the United States with Larry Clark's kids and includes things like American Honey and Florida Project. And this uh, deals with two young girls played by uh, Michaela Karimsky and Karina Evans, who just want to get out of their dead end Canadian town, which is just a depressing place where nobody seems to actually have a job and people just sit around and, you know, uh, they're promiscuous and they use drugs and that's that's it. You know, they identify the town or is it they don't really they don't identify the town. uh, And but it is, I think it's supposed to be Ontario. In the short film, it was in Ontario. And, uh, and, and it, this is their, these are their efforts to get out of town, to raise the money, to, to somehow get out of town. But, for, you know, it keeps pulling them back in. There's a cycle of despair in this town that just keeps catching up with them. They know all the same people. The same people have all the same vices. They can't escape their vices. And you get caught up in somebody else's cycle of vice. And um, it, the performances are stunning. Uh, Karimsky and Evans are so real. It's terrifying. Uh, There's never a moment where they seem to be reciting dialogue. It it just feels urgent and it feels exhilarating and you really do get caught up in it. Even though it treads familiar territory, I felt like I was watching this film for the first time. Christy, what do you think of Firecrackers? I agree with all of that. And yeah, Michaela Karimsky has such an unpredictable kind of wild child nature to her that you truly never know where this film is going to go, where she's going to take you with it. And you mentioned that the cycle that they are stuck in and so much of it has to do with the way the men in this town manipulate the women for their own the boys. base needs. Yeah. I mean, and so what I love about it is that these two girls, and they are girls, like they're they're teenagers. They just graduated from high school. I mm-hmm. want to say um, they stick by each other no matter what. And so the men try to exploit them and use them, and over and over again, especially Michaela Karimsky's yeah. character Lou, she's like. We don't need them. Yeah. We we only need each other. We can we don't need them to get us out of town. We're going to figure it out. And so it's how they overcome one obstacle after another. And while it sounds like a really bleak film, and it is, it's got this incredibly rich and gritty and grimy sense of place. Um, almost in, in a way that's borderline voyeuristic. I would say it, 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 there's um, there are scenes. Yeah, yeah, but it's it surprisingly by the end has like a glimmer of hope. And I love the relationship between Lou and her little brother. Uh-huh. who is a little different in this town, in a place where being different can and, get and you hurt. And that's the thing. For a movie that is so in your face, 
it's also very subtle at the same time. It doesn't it doesn't overplay its hand when when Mozafari when she knows she needs to pull back a little bit, she pulls back. And it's always it's always a risk when somebody takes a short film and turns it into a feature because very often it feels like you know, this, like it's added, like it's really padded out. And this doesn't. She had she had a very rich story and she elaborated on it and introduced more characters in a, in a, in a very, very, very smart way. Firecrackers, the film from writer-director Jasmine Mozafari. It's unrated and it's available on select video-on-demand services. Firecrackers, unrated. Sounds like it's largely for uh, adult audiences. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the documentary Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable, tells the story of the 13-year-old who lost her arm in a tiger shark attack. Uh, Aaron Liebers, the director of the documentary. Christy? So we've heard Bethany Hamilton's story many times in many different forms. Um, it was the subject of a feature film, Soul Surfer, with Anna Sophia Robb playing mm-hmm. Bethany Hamilton, and several books and countless television segments. It's, it's an incredibly inspiring story that, you know, as a teenage girl, she got back up on that board and immediately knew she was going to if she was no, she never had a second of fear but we don't really know we haven't really seen so much about what her life has been like since then and now she's an adult in her mid 20s and she's a wife and she's a mom and it's about how she has tried to forge a, a somewhat normal life for herself um despite the fame and uh despite all of the responsibilities and uh and how she trains to stay at the top of her game and she actually gets in like better shape than ever after she has a child oh, it's I, astonishing. I felt so lazy watching this movie <laughs> like she looks amazing yeah. <laughs> um but it's 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 a very straightforward but inspiring story. And what makes it worth seeing and definitely worth seeing on the big screen is this gorgeous, immersive ocean imagery. I mean, you feel like you are there with her. And they also explain really well the various kinds of waves she has to train herself to get better at riding and how she goes to various parts of the world. Again, she's sponsored by Rip Curl, so she's got some money to do this kind of thing. This is part of her job. Um, But she goes to like Fiji and to San Clemente in different parts of the world to try to learn how to ride different waves. So this thing that looks like it's just chill. You just get in the board and mm. go enjoy the ocean. No, she's a serious athlete, and she's her focus is astonishing. And she, at a certain point, says you can't really, uh, you know, earn a living as a pro surfer because it's a seasonal thing. So she has to look for endorsements and other other ways of you know putting her life together. Um, she's smart, but she's still you know she's a surfer girl. I mean, I, I grew up in a surf community. I I grew up with these people, and and there is something really just very down to earth about them. This film was kickstarted. The filmmakers raised the money. Kickstarter, and they give credit to every single person who contributed hmm. to the Kickstarter <laughs> campaign. In the end, the cards go on. There's several cards with this microscopic type, um, and uh, it's uh, it, it, the surf footage is amazing. But what's most inspiring is how these other surfers that she's and she's you know she turns down the chance to be given an award for being a disabled athlete. She thinks that's an insult because she's competing with the best in the world and still beating them. I mean, she is a really good surfer, and uh, there there are others who look at her and they think, you know, I I thought maybe I'd you know get married and have kids after my career, and I look at her and she's got it all. Mm-hmm. She's she's gone through so much, and she's married, and she has kids, and she's bringing her husband and her kids on the tour, and it's really it's a portrait of somebody who went through the grinder and came out on the other side better than 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 she was before. She breastfeeds between sets. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs>
<laughs> Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable, the documentary directed by Aaron Lieber. It's rated PG in select theaters. The documentary Armstrong about the life of Neil Armstrong. First man, of course, set foot on the moon. The doc is unrated. Wait, they're all coming out this year because it's the 50th anniversary in just a few in like two weeks. And uh, one week, it's one uh, week. next yeah, Saturday. That's right. yeah. One week away for the 50th anniversary. So we're getting them all starting with First Man and then Apollo 11. So dramatic and documentary. This is a very good documentary about Neil Armstrong that is actually better than First Man because it, it feels like it, it actually tries to get inside the man and his life in a way that the uh, the narrative film did not. Um, it's not remarkable in terms of the craft. It's just, you know, interviews, archival footage. But they do get some amazing interviews. They don't get Buzz Aldrin, though. There's no Buzz Aldrin in this, and probably for good reason, because at a certain point, people do start talking about when the decision was, who is going to be the first man on the moon? Is it going to be Neil or Buzz? A lot of people do say, yeah, Buzz wasn't the guy. We didn't really want that that kind of a person being the first person. You know, he's a little too edgy, a little too unpredictable. We wanted somebody who was clean as a whistle, who was all American, and that's how Neil got the call. Uh, Michael Collins has interviewed a lot of the people from uh, from Houston and a lot of the technicians and the engineers, and what it really, despite the time title, what it winds up being is a tribute, not just to Neil Armstrong, but a tribute as he would have wanted to the entire collective of people who were part of putting a man on the moon. And it is it is really quite a wonderful story to see it told this way. Harrison Ford narrates Armstrong from director David Fairhead. It's at the Arena Cine Lounge, Sunset and Unrated. The drama Lying and Stealing is directed by Matt uh, Azelton, who co-wrote the screenplay with Adam Nagata. Christy. This is the tried and true one last heist movie. You have seen this movie before and various other kinds of heists. This time you have the very handsome Theo James playing an art thief. And he hooks up with the very attractive Emily Ratajkowski, who is sort of a small time con artist herself. And they are in Los Angeles and they're both trying to get out of this life. And they do the one last job. Fred Melamed is the... uh, Really skeevy. Um, <laughs> God, he's predatory. He's just gross. And he, but he's the, the crime boss that, that Theo James is trying to get out from underneath. And, uh, and they do the one last job for him. And the fun thing about a heist movie ordinarily is that you watch them plan the heist and then you watch them try to pull off the heist and you're invested every step of the way. And that does not happen here. They're pretty, but it's like the whole thing's at half speed. Like it's inert and empty it's, somehow. It's like if somebody did Ocean's Eleven, except they made it Ocean's Two and, <laughs> and didn't care and just said, nah, why bother? <laughs> Lying and Stealing, the film, uh, rated R, starring Theo James and Emily Ratajkowski, Matt Azelton, uh, the director and co-screenwriter, Limley's Monica Film Center, where you can see Lying and Stealing. We have another film to review for the week. It's the uh, German-Italian uh, co-production Three Peaks, written and directed by Jan Zabiel, uh, Alexander Feeling, and Berenice Bejo star. Wade? Really an interesting film film and you got to stick with it. Uh, it takes this is a, about a 90 minute film that takes an hour to fully get it set up going. And you're going to sit there for about 60 minutes thinking, what am I doing? I'm just watching this this guy and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's eight year old son. And they're in the in the mountains in the Dolomites in Italy. And they're they're just talking about moving to Paris. Nothing really seems to happen. It's just three people in a cabin in the mountains for an hour. And then it just 
it it clicks, and I, I I can't tell you where it goes because then it becomes a thriller in a in a in a way that just sets that last half hour off like a roller coaster, and it is it is incredibly effective. But it wouldn't be that effective if you hadn't invested that hour in a slow burn that just really really sets you up, and then he just once he's you know it's like he's reeled you in, and then he just unleashes it, and it's uh it is very very interesting and very effective and very unusual filmmaking. Three Peaks is unrated, written and directed by Jan Zabil. It's at the New Art Theater in West Los Angeles. Also, Rip Torn passed away earlier this week at the age of 88 in Connecticut. He was best known for his role as Artie, the producer of the late night talk show uh, at the center of the Larry Sanders show. I loved uh, Torn's interplay with Gary Shandling on the series. Just absolutely terrific. He had a big role in Albert Brooks' Defending Your Life. He was in The Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie and gave what was perhaps his greatest performance in 1973, the film Payday, in which he starred as an extremely difficult uh, uh, country music uh, performer. Wade, your your memories of Rip Torn. You know, it's funny. He He's one of these actors who sort of had two phases to his career. Most of us around, you know, who've been around movies for the last 30 years or so, we know him from things like Defending Your Life and Larry Sanders' show, where he's that gruff guy who kind of comes in comic relief, and he's he, he brings that, that, that burly brusque attitude into the movie. But when you go back to something like Payday, he was part of a generation of actors who came of age in the late 60s and early 70s. You could say Jack Nicholson was one of them as well, uh, who really just didn't come in uh, looking to be an, uh, an, an actor. They came in looking to throw themselves into a part to just go to the wall in an almost psychological experiment to see how far they could push themselves. And uh, Payday is breathtaking. I mean, it's he Great takes film. he takes risks there that the that just five years earlier would have been unheard of for for film actors. Uh, And, and, you know, it it really did kind of change the culture in a way. All right. Rip Torn, who passed away at the age of 88 earlier this week. Great to have you with us on Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. Wade Major, Christy Lemire, our critics with us this week. One of my very favorite dramatic performances by... A largely comedic actor was Cloris Leachman in The Last Picture Show. Uh, Just a tremendous performance. In fact, it won her the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. What's your example of the best performance by an actor who's known for comedic performances but does a dramatic role and knocks it out of the park? If you're listening to the Friday Live Film Week, you can join us on the phone at 866-893-KPECC. That's 866-893-5722. You can also uh, tell us what you think's the best example of a comedic actor uh, doing a dramatic role on on our Film Week page, kpcc.org. Once again, love to hear your thoughts about your favorite examples of, of an actor known largely for comedic roles doing a straight dramatic role. reason we're taking this on is because of Aquafina's critically acclaimed performance in The Farewell, a film that led off our reviews on Film Week this week. Chris, do you have prime examples of a comedic actor in a dramatic role? I have so many, and I, it feels feels like it's a rite of passage for a lot of folks and, and, and a must-do kind of thing that a lot of comedians always secretly want to do because comedy is so hard and it doesn't get the credit for being as hard as it is. But when you do a dramatic role, 
all of a sudden those chops are, you know, more readily on display and, oh, this person can really act, of course. And so I think a lot of actors, a lot of comedic actors want the opportunity to flex in that way. And so, you know, some of like Adam Sandler, for example, not a big fan of his comedies, but the best stuff he's done is like Punch Drunk Love or Spanglish. Um, I think of Jim Carrey now mostly as a dramatic actor. He hasn't really done that many comedies recently. Um, he's so great in Man on the Moon or The Truman Show or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, a lot of Saturday Night Live people, of course, have done this. Bill Murray, Bill Hader is, you know, so incredibly versatile, but I loved him in The Skeleton Twins with Kristen Wiig, also primarily a comedian, and he's so great on Barry. And then just what, just this past year, we have Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? She's so, she's so lovely and understated in that. And I guess it all just goes back to the notion of, you know, the sad clown that like that, that, that Mm -hmm. dark side is in all of them and dramas allow them to let it out. Well, and comedy is, uh, of course, considered to be much harder to successfully pull off. So much harder for a dramatic actor to cross over into comedy than perhaps vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, talk with Jonathan in Hollywood. Jonathan, you have a couple of examples of of success in this. Yeah. Hi, Larry. The two that came to my mind were Jerry Lewis in King of Comedy. Yes. Yes. And um, Andy Griffith in uh, Kazan's A Face of the it's one of the all-time great film performances, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. Andy Griffith in A Face in the Crowd, um, just a dynamic performance coming off him being a, a Broadway actor. And, of course, Jerry Lewis in King of Comedy. Jerry Lewis in King of Comedy is so extraordinary. And I, I would say when Christy mentioned the sad clown, you know, Chaplin in Limelight was the one who really broke the barrier for that and said, you can, as a comedic actor, move to the other side. And I think Jerry Lewis takes a page from Limelight because the reason he's so effective is because we know how funny he can be. And he turns that into something that is both sad and terrifying. He plays off of his own reputation in a, in a, in a terrifying way. Buster Keaton, of course, in Limelight, oh, in Limelight too. as well. Yes. Same, same thing. Thing. Uh, Kevin in Northridge, you also want to go back quite a few years. Um, what's your example? I didn't see them when they originally came out, but the example is uh, Jackie Gleason in Requiem for Heavyweight and The Hustler. The Hustler, yeah. Yeah, yeah Jackie yeah. Gleason, known for his. Co- no, such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. A few miles away from uh, Ralph Cramden and, you know, the Jackie Gleason show. Yeah. No question. Great example. Kevin, thanks so much. 866-893-KPCC. Again, if you're listening to the live Friday broadcast of Film Week, you can call. But if you're listening to the Saturday uh, broadcast, you can put it on our Film Week page, kpcc.org. Damon in South Los Angeles, Will Smith in Six Degrees of Separation. That's a good example. And John in Sherman Oaks, Steve Martin in The Spanish Prisoner. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got Tim in downtown Los Angeles. Tim? Uh, yeah, the first one that comes to mind, and it's really overlooked, is Marion Ross in uh, Evening Star, the sequel to Terms of Endearment. She plays the maid of uh, Shirley MacLaine in a role that you just didn't expect that she would be cast in. I mean, for years, we all knew her as the uh, the mother of Richie Cunningham in uh, Happy Days. 
Yeah, I appreciate it, Tim. Marion Ross, Evening Shade, 866-893-KPCC. Max in Sherman Oaks uh, brings up a recent guest with us on Film Week, John C. Riley. Says hard to peg him in one role or another. He switches back and forth seamlessly between comedy and drama. And there's some actors who are so good, they do that routinely. They just go back and forth. I mean, my two favorite always are Bill Murray in uh, in Lost in Translation and uh, Peter Sellers in Being There because oh, both yeah. parts are – they're still funny, but they're poignant. And they play because they are so poignant and because they can be funny, they can also go deep in those two parts and make you cry. And Bill Murray is still great in Broken Flowers too. Yeah. He's done several Jim Jarmusch films which allow him to do a, a darker side of his comedic persona. Yeah. We should also remember – Jonah Hill is two-time Academy Award nominee, <laughs> Jonah Hill. Um, he's so great in Moneyball. And I don't know, I guess Wolf of Wall Street is, and it's an everything. It's not a comedy or a drama or a thriller. It's, it's all the above, but his, his scenes are uh, intense in that. And could I, could I just put a shout-out to Billy Connolly and Her Majesty Mrs. Brown opposite mm-hmm. Judy Dench? I mean, Billy <laughs> Connolly makes me laugh almost more than any other human being on the planet, and that part should have gotten him an Oscar nomination. All right, we'll hear from more of our Film Week listeners. Your pick for an actor largely known for comedic roles, but who in doing a dramatic performance knocked it out of the park with a great dramatic performance. Again, for those uh, listening live Friday, 866-893-KPCC. Back in just one minute. It's Film Week, Larry Mantle, with our critics Christy Lemire and Wade Major. We're talking about comedic actors, even stand-ups, who, in in doing a dramatic role where they're maybe cast against type, uh, have a huge performance. Uh, your best example of that, uh, you can put it on the Film Week page, kpcc.org. David writes on the page, Monique in Precious. Yeah. Uh, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple. And Roberto Benigni in Life is Beautiful. Not a favorite of our critics, but of course Oscar <laughs> nominated uh, despite that. Uh, Monique uh, won the Oscar for that performance. Benini won the Oscar too. And Benini, that's yeah. right, because he yeah. climbed all over the seats. Yeah. That's, that's right. Um, Belinda says John Ritter created a very scary character on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right, <laughs> all right, Belinda, one for television. He was good in Sling Blade too. Uh, Ken in <laughs> Canoga Park. Yes, I think at the top of my list would be Mary Tyler Moore and Ordinary People. Yeah, that's another Oscar-credited um, um, uh, role there. Yeah, what did you like so much about her performance? I was just amazed with how subtle she delivered the performance. Uh, her her looks and glances in the non-dialogue moments, I think, were the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Uh, and especially from her, because you don't expect that. You expect, you know, she's going to deliver the third line of the you know punchline. And she just, with a look and a glance, you could tell what she was thinking, how she was processing the moment, and the the, the performance was just, I think, amazing. Ken, I, I agree with you, and I think you know, one of the things she showed in her television work, she was extremely good at playing off of the other actors around her, very generous performances, and in Ordinary People, she took that skill and that orientation as, as an actor 
and put it into that dramatic performance. Ken, I appreciate you raising that. 866-893-KPCC. Jay in Long Beach says Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, another uh, Oscar winner. Yeah, Leanne in Mission Viejo. Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. He got robbed at the Oscars, <laughs> Leanne says. Uh, let's see. Let's talk next. Diana in West Hollywood. Yes. Hi. Um, I was going to say three. I really loved Peter Sellers in being there. Um, I also thought that Will Ferrell in Stranger Than Fiction was, you know, amazing. And even though there's kind of dramedies um, and something, one that popped in my head also was Bernie Mac and Pride. Um, and I also in reverse like Jason Staten in <laughs> Spies. Which is like, <laughs> As an action star doing yeah. comedy. All right. Yeah. Usually do comedy. Yeah. All right, Diana. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Jim and Claremont wants to bring up Jack Lemon, who um, he went back and forth between comedic and dramatic roles. But in Save the Tiger uh, and uh, and in the apartment doing what were largely dramatic roles, Save the Tiger was a purely dramatic role. Um, And the apartment, of course, kind of kind of mixed them together uh, in in the uh, film. 866-893-KPCC. Or the AirTalk page, kpcc.org. Oh, John in Culver City, you wanted to mention another Jack Lemon movie. Uh, yes, I did, Larry. Uh, Days of Wine and Roses, also um, The China Syndrome, and wasn't he in Custard Dog versus Missing? Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, Jack Lemon. In fact, I just caught him on TV the other night in a film, Cowboy, um, um, which. Um, Was yeah, which was it with Glenn Ford, which was an interesting role, which fish out of water, uh, which was largely dramatic. He did a you know a little bit of comedy, but largely dramatic film. Uh, Delmer Dave's movie. Thanks very much, John. Eight six six eight nine three KPCC. If you're listening to the live Friday film week. One quick uh, point is uh, Lucille Ball in Lured from 1947, uh, a Douglas Sirk serial killer movie. But she wasn't. She's the bait in the film. She's the bait in the film, but she was not known as a comedian. It was the next year that she started her radio show, My Favorite Husband. And then a few years later, that evolved into I Love Lucy. So she was a great dramatic actress who then became a great comedian and kind of flipped it around. How would someone know that someone like Lucille Ball would would have insider the comedian and she started as a dancer she, she went from a dancer to being a dramatic actress to being one of the great comic geniuses of all time it's all timing right that yeah. timing is there no matter what genre it is uh all right let's see next is uh ian uh ian i'm not sure where you're calling from but uh who's your example I'm calling from the road. Um, All right. <laughs> Just <laughs> undesignated road. Uh, so who do you want to shout out to? Uh, Jim Carrey and also Jerry uh, Lewis, because I think that the guys who make the biggest transitions uh, from being wacky, like insane, stagey comics uh, have the biggest impact. And uh, my movie... One of the Jim Carrey movies is uh, Eternal uh, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. The Charlie Kaufman film. Yeah. Very, very uh, emotional and small. And he's done this in a few roles. Uh, and I think he's he's amazing. And, and the, this is a guy that I don't love as a comedian. Uh, same thing with Robin Williams. Like they're just too big, too wacky. But wow. Uh, what was the 
What was the Robin Williams movie where he was uh, he worked in a photo lab? What was that one? One Hour Photo. He's yes. chilling oh, in that. I, that's a great example. I love that oh, movie. Oh, he's so good. Ian, thanks. I appreciate it. Isaac in Huntington Beach, also a big fan of Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But Isaac, you have another uh, performance you want to bring up? Yeah, I think uh, Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love deserves a little love. You know, he did a good job there. He still was Adam Sandler, but he brought, you know, a different aspect of his personality to his film. All right, Isaac. Thanks very much. Don't forget about Eddie Murphy's one Oscar nomination for Dreamgirls. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was terrific. Denise in downtown L.A., your pick for comedic actor going dramatic. Well, what about Sarah Silverman in I Smile Back? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, She got tremendous uh, popular uh, support for her performance in that. Uh, Nick in Pacific Palisades, I understand you worked with Jack Lemmon's son, Chris? Yeah, we did a television series called Open House on Fox. And I used to play golf with Chris on Wednesdays. And I said, God, I'd love to meet your dad. He's my favorite actor. He said, well, yeah, well if you ever do, if he ever comes, you, you must never mention acting to him. Cause he, he doesn't want to talk about it. Chris, Chris could take up his dad so well. Anyway, the next Wednesday I played with him. Lo and behold, there was Jack. And, and Chris sat me in the buggy with Jack, and I went all the way around with him. I was dying to tell him about his performance in Days of Wine and Roses, where he ripped my guts out. It was the most dramatic and wonderfully sad, brilliant performance. And eventually I said to him, Jack, I'm sorry, i just got to tell you, Days of Wine and Roses is my favorite film of all time. He said, oh, mine too. And he grabbed me, and I was just great. Yeah, about an alcoholic couple. Rip your heart out is a great description of it, Nick. Thanks very much. Jeffrey in Beverly Hills wants to uh, bring up Rosalind Russell, a, a veritable comedian. Rosalind Russell could do dramatic roles in comedic. Majority of one, for example, always brought humanity to her roles, never caricatured. That's Jeffrey in Beverly Hills. Uh, Mark uh, writes on the page, Alan Arkin, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Of course, he was able to do bridge dramatic and comedic, as was Cary Grant, Lucille raising Notorious as a dramatic role, but Grant, a master talent in both forms. For our Film Week uh, critics, Christy Lemire and Wade Major, I'm Larry Mantle. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts about actors best known for comedy doing strong dramatic performances. And I hope to see you Saturday night, July 27th for our next Film Week screening. It's Boogie Nights Theater at Ace Hotel. Tickets at kpcc.org slash in person. Have a great weekend.